The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Nitin Seem, and thank you for joining us today for another edition of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine article discussion podcast series. Today's podcast will discuss a topic of interest to those of us who care for patients with COPD, specifically the efficacy of a biomarker to predict exacerbation. We're going to discuss the article, Blood Eosinophils and Exacerbations in COPD, the Copenhagen General Population Study, that is published in the May 1st, 2016 Blue Journal. I'm pleased to be joined by one of the study authors, Dr. Peter Langa, and by Dr. Visha Venjiha, who wrote the accompanying editorial. Dr. Langa is Professor of Respiratory Medicine at the University of Copenhagen, and Dr. Venjiha is Professor of Respiratory Medicine at the National Heart and Lung Institute, Imperial College, United Kingdom. She's also the editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. Before we dive into the podcast, I wanted to clarify a couple of abbreviations you might hear. ICS refers to inhaled corticosteroids, and LABA refers to long-acting beta agonists. Now let's start the podcast with a question for Dr. Venjiha. Dr. Venjiha, before we talk about eosinophils and COPD, I was hoping you can provide some background for our listeners regarding terms that were mentioned in the paper that we're going to discuss today. There's been a great deal of interest in the literature about COPD patients who are frequent exacerbators. Could you please explain the term frequent exacerbator and tell us why the frequent exacerbator is so important for us to better understand? Thank you very much. A feature of COPD is the development of exacerbations, which are flare-ups or worsening of symptoms and of airway and systemic inflammation. Some patients develop a lot of these events, and we term these patients frequent exacerbator when they have two or more exacerbations per year. We also know that a patient who is a frequent exacerbator one year is likely to be a frequent exacerbator in the following year. So the exacerbation history is an important predictor of risk, and that is why it is so important. Furthermore, the frequent exacerbator is more likely to have disease progression, poorer quality of life, at risk of more admissions, and also of higher mortality. Well, thank you for that explanation. So I wanted to ask Dr. Lange a follow-up that's relevant to the current paper. So when thinking about eosinophils and obstructive lung disease, I'm sure our listeners are more familiar with sputum and blood eosinophils in asthma as a marker for exacerbations or severity. However, there is a growing evidence base that describes the importance of the eosinophil in COPD. So I would ask you to review that evidence base for us. Is there evidence that blood levels correlate with eosinophilic airway inflammation and steroid responsiveness? And what is the data that suggests that blood eosinophil levels correlate with the risk of acute exacerbation of COPD? Well, uh, actually, there are not that many studies trying to correlate the levels of eosinophils in serum with the levels in sputum in patients with COPD. One of the best studies that I can think of is a UK study of Mona Baffadel and colleagues published in the Blue Journal already in 2011. Uh, in this study, approximately 150 patients with COPD were characterized and observed for one year of exacerbations. The investigators found that presence of serum eosinophilia in stable condition was the best predictor of presence of eosinophils in sputum during an exacerbation. And actually, the cut-off value of 2% 
in peripheral blood eosinophils was the best predictor of sputum eosinophilia. Therefore, I suspect that this is the reason for uh, that subsequent studies use 2% value as a threshold. With regard to studies correlating the levels of blood eosinophils uh, with the frequency of exacerbation, I think that the results uh, vary. Uh, in the eclipse study, those with peripheral blood eosinophilia did not experience more frequent exacerbations. It is important to say that more than 90% of these patients were on inhaled corticosteroids. In recently published secondary analysis of randomized controlled trials comparing ICS-LABA combination with LABA alone, high levels of eosinophils were associated with increased rates of exacerbations in the LABA arm, but not in the ICS-LABA arm, suggesting that ICS may reduce the frequency of exacerbations related to eosinophilia. Well, thank you for that succinct summary of the, of the data. Dr. Vanjiha, since we have the unique honor of having you on this podcast, since you have an expertise in this area, I actually wanted to ask you a question from your perspective as the Blue Journal editor, kind of take us behind the scenes. What made this study so compelling as to accept it for publication in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine? Firstly, as an editor, I'm always looking after original papers and also something that is topical. So the issue of eosinophils in COPD is important because we're trying to apply personalized and stratified medicine to COPD. And this is one of the first ways we can do it. There have been some reports to suggest the patients respond better to inhaled corticosteroids if the eosinophil counts are higher. So there's been some debate about this, but actually we had no information about eosinophils in the general population till we received this paper. And that's why this paper is so important and actually will change the way we will look at the field. We're also looking at papers that have a wide readership. And this is important. We have some papers that are on a very specific topic where um, you know, they're often a rare disease. But we're also on the lookout on these papers that go across interest. So this will be of interest um, to people in epidemiology, clinicians and researchers. And of course, we're also looking for papers that will be cited and will lead to further work. So I think this paper ticks all the boxes. And we were really very pleased to receive it. Well, certainly any of us who practice pulmonary medicine see our fair share of COPD patients. And certainly any way to study or predict risk of exacerbation would be extraordinarily helpful. So I, I was very interested when I, when I first came across this study. So Dr. Lange, let's get to the study itself. Your group studied patients with COPD in the general population from the Copenhagen general population study. So I'd ask you to please describe the characteristics of this cohort of people and tell us how you were able to classify patients from the cohort as having COPD and not asthma, since asthma is the obvious confounder here. Well, our study is a study of general population, uh, that is, people who live in suburbs of Copenhagen. It has the advantage that it comprises almost 100,000 participants. They attended a health examination and were then followed with regard to exacerbations, hospitalizations, and mortality. The limitations uh, include the fact that the individuals are not as well characterized as they would be in a clinical study. 
For the present analysis, we defined a larger group of approximately 7,000 individuals with airflow limitation and no self-reported asthma, and a smaller group of 200 individuals with similar degree of airflow limitation, but also no asthma, more than 10 pack years, and at least one exacerbation in the year before enrollment. And in addition to that, we also had a requirement that there, if you one should be below 70% of the predicted value. In this group, we labeled as clinical COPD. But as you mentioned, the distinction between asthma and COPD is difficult in a general population study. And in this study, we used tobacco exposure, relatively reduced AVV1 below 70% of predicted value, and the fact that they did not report to have asthma. And often in epidemiological settings, it is a good definition. So just to clarify, these patients all had obstructive lung disease based on PFTs and no history you were able to elicit of asthma as opposed to looking at bronchodilator responsiveness on PFTs. Is that correct? That is correct. And another follow-up question for you, Dr. Langa. How were you able to study the relationship that we've been discussing, the relationship of blood eosinophils and COPD exacerbations in this Copenhagen general population cohort? When the participants attended the examination, blood tests were performed and eosinophil counts were determined. Then we followed our cohort for approximately three years, and during this period, we registered exacerbations of COPD. We defined moderate exacerbation as those treated with oral corticosteroids and severe exacerbations as those resulting in acute hospital admissions. In total cohort, we recorded almost 1,500 severe exacerbations and 3,000 moderate exacerbations. The corresponding numbers in the clinical cohort, the 200 individuals with what we call clinical COPD, were 300 severe exacerbations, 300 admissions, and approximately 600, 500 exacerbations, which were moderate treated with oral prednisolone. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying that the study design. And Dr. Lang, I'd like you now to take our listeners out of their suspense and tell us what you found in the study. Our main findings were following. Firstly, in the general population, there was a significant correlation between a relatively high level of serum eosinophils and risk of both severe and moderate exacerbations. This risk was highest in the clinical COPD group. For example, Having an eosinophil count more than 340 cells per microliter was associated with more than three times higher risk of severe exacerbations and 1.7 times higher risk of moderate exacerbations. What we did was that we counted out the probability of having at least one exacerbation during each year of follow-up. And we expressed eosinophilias both as absolute numbers of eosinophils and as percentages as has been done in previous studies. And in our cohort, the absolute numbers were the best predictors separating those who would have recurrent exacerbations from those who did not. So just to follow up, Dr. Langa, you mentioned in, our, in one of your prior answers the confounding of inhaled corticosteroid use in the Eclipse study. I think about 90% of the patients were on inhaled corticosteroids. Were you able to study the effect of inhaled steroid use on your cutoff scores for uh, blood eosinophil numbers? Yes, we have information on how many of our participants were treated with inhaled corticosteroids. In the larger group of those who just had airflow limitation, only 10% were on inhaled corticosteroids, whereas in the clinical COPD group, those with EPV1 below 70% of predicted, approximately 50% were on inhaled corticosteroids. 
But since it's not a randomized trial, but an observational study, what we actually saw was that uh, those who were on inhaled corticosteroids, they had higher risk of exacerbations. And this, I think, indicates confounding by indication means that these patients who had a history of exacerbations were already on the drugs. And even though the steroids reduced the risk, the risk was still higher. So just to follow up on that, Dr. Lange, so is it fair to say patients who are on inhaled, obviously this is not a randomized trial, as, as you mentioned, that limitation, but as we speculate, patients who are on inhaled corticosteroids and still had elevated eosinophilic counts above that threshold absolute count you mentioned would still be at high risk, just as the group who are not receiving inhaled steroids and had that cut score were at high risk. I think actually that this is a difficult question to answer because I'm not sure that we know to what degree inhaled corticosteroids, they reduce the uh, peripheral uh, eosinophilia. So I think it's difficult to answer, but, but, but I think that, as you said, it's very difficult to draw a conclusion about effectiveness of inhaled corticosteroids in our population study since it's not a randomized study, it's not a trial. So, so, so I, w- I would abstain from concluding the role of inhaled cort- uh, regarding the role of inhaled corticosteroids in our cohort, but rather, see, rather think about the findings from other trials where uh, an analysis has been performed on randomized control trials. Well, thank you for that. And uh, obviously, there, you know, any novel, interesting study like this is going to lead to just as many questions as answers. So, Dr. Vanjiha, there were several interesting study findings that Dr. Lang just discussed. And, you know, frankly, it makes sense to me that absolute eosinophil number would be more predictive than a percentage cutoff of cell count like 2%. So, I'd ask for your comment that when you add this study to the existing body of literature, do you think the blood eosinophil number is is useful in, one, identifying patients who are frequent exacerbators, or two, predicting severe exacerbations of COPD, as this study is found? Absolutely. I would also agree with you that the absolute xenophil count should be more predictive. But what I think is important in this data from Dr. Langer's group and Copenhagen is that they show that that level of xenophil count that relates to a higher risk of exacerbation is actually over 300. So when we had the original data on this, which came from sub-analyses and post-hoc analyses of clinical trials, we were told that 2% 150 would be the cutoff. In fact, I think the big contribution of this paper is what we all thought that those cutoffs have to be higher. What to me the paper also showed that mild moderate exacerbations are not related so closely as the severe exacerbations. With these severe exacerbations, those requiring emergency admission and hospitalizations, that is where we see the close relationship between eosinophils and exacerbations, which again says, why does this happen? And interestingly, I speculate in the editorial, is this due to viral infections? We know that viral infections can produce an eosinophilia, and viral infections, especially during the winter, cause more severe exacerbations. So I don't think that this can be a universal test for prediction of frequent exacerbations, but I think a higher eosinophil count can suggest that this patient is at risk of a severe or hospitalized event. Thank you for that. That was a very thoughtful summary, and I think it makes a lot of sense in sort of putting all the data in a broader view. 
Dr. Lang, I'd like to follow up with you talking about personalizing medicine and identifying particular patients with COPD and, and targeting the individual. And when I look at something like this, I think the ideal would be to use each person as their own baseline and that, for example, the change from baseline eosinophil count in an individual patient may be a more useful marker for impending exacerbation than even an absolute number, which obviously varies from person to person. So I was wondering if in your cohort, if you're able to assess the usefulness of temporal changes, are you, do you get blood tests at serial time points in these patients? Well, thank you for this interesting question, but unfortunately, we only have one measure. So the short answer would be that we cannot assess the relation between changes in eosinophils and risk of exacerbations. But I'm sure that other cohorts may be able to do so, and this would be interesting to examine that. Yes, obviously that is, you know, you already have such a detailed cohort putting them through a, an annual blood test or something obviously makes it much more complicated and, and much more challenging for the people involved. But Dr. Vinjiha, I'd like to follow up about this question of, of phenotypes of patients. Obviously, researchers in all fields of pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine are, are trying to do this and target therapy to the individual. And, you know, obviously you are a, a leading researcher in this area. And so, while I have you on, I wanted to solicit your opinion. What do you think going forward when researchers are looking, what is the most important phenotype of COPD patients that we need, you know, a biomarker or a panel of biomarkers and other clinical and PFD variables to identify? Should we be focusing? I mean, obviously, we've tried to capture everything, but is it the frequent exacerbator, the steroid responsive patient, or is there something else that most interests you? That is a very important question. And I think we would probably agree in COPD that exacerbation prediction, particularly of patients who are at risk of hospital admission, is extremely important. And I think we really need some objective biomarkers of COPD exacerbations. You know, us and others have spent a lot of time trying to study this, and we haven't got a reproducible biomarker at the moment for COPD exacerbation. So I think if we had that, a biomarker of an exacerbation, we could actually diagnose exacerbations easier and also target them better for prevention. Certainly, a marker of steroid responsiveness is important. And I think eosinophils are often regarded as a marker of steroid responsiveness. And I think we need more data on that. Other phenotypes which are important in COPD, of course, are emphysema and bronchitis. And there's also the patients who get a lot of airway infection and particularly coexistent patients with bronchiectasis. So we're still really at the beginning of phenotyping COPD. There's one other, I think, issue with phenotyping in COPD is that phenotypes change. Exacerbations increase over time as well. And I think I would really like to see more information, which I'm sure over time, Peter and his group in Copenhagen will have how these eosinophils, in fact, relate much more to disease severity. Well, thank you for that explanation. And I think you really crystallize how hard this sort of work is. And I think, you know, again, points to how important the novel work Peter and his group are doing and providing more insight into this. So, Dr. Lang, I'd, I'd like to ask for your opinion about this kind of building on what we were just discussing. So, 
Obviously, we are at an early stage in this research on biomarkers of COPD. So I asked you to look into your crystal ball and hypothesize what you think the best way to identify high-risk COPD patients will be in the future. You think it's going to be a, you know, as as Visha intimated, there's so many, there are different phenotypes clinically with uh, bronchitis and emphysema, et cetera. Is it a panel of multiple blood biomarkers? You know, obviously sputum is less easily accessible, but maybe more effective. Uh, is it a mix of clinical variables, PFT findings, and biomarkers? I'd give you this opportunity to engage in wild speculation. Well, thank you very much. I, of course, agree with what Visha said. And uh, I think that is very important in particular to identify those who will have exacerbations. Uh, and I must say that in my daily clinical practice, uh, I still mostly rely on clinical characteristics like previous exacerbation history, the level of EVV1, current smoking, chronic mucus hypersecretion, also presence of asthmatic features and signs of bronchiectasis. But when talking about biomarkers, I think that eosinophilia at present is the most compelling biomarker. Firstly, because it indicates high risk of exacerbation, and also importantly, it indicates that inhaled corticosteroids are likely to be successful in preventing some of these events. Uh, actually, as it can be seen from the supplementary material for uh, in our paper, eosinophilia was a stronger predictor of severe exacerbation than was elevated CRP or elevated fibrinogen. So I think that in the future, we will focus on multiple biomarkers, but already now, I think that eosinophilia is here and it should be used uh, in the clinical situation. Thank you so much for an engaging discussion. This study clearly advances the literature by showing that in the general population cohort in Denmark, an absolute blood eosinophil level above 0.34 times 10 to the 9th predicts severe COPD exacerbations. And this absolute number was more predictive than a percentage of eosinophils. Though blood eosinophils show promise as a biomarker to predict COPD exacerbations, at this point it is not clear that they have any additive value to the clinical predictors we currently use to predict exacerbation risk such as prior history of exacerbation and baseline FEV1. Please stay tuned as this evidence base is still developing. The homepage for this podcast on atsjournals.org provides a link to the article as well as to the accompanying editorial. And please don't forget to subscribe to Article Discussion Podcasts from the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine on iTunes. I'm Nitin Seem for the Blue Journal. Thank you.